Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Joining us now in studio, Brandon Gustafson. We are going to talk about the Mariners. Uh, Bump and I encourage you guys, if you have questions about this team, as spring training is getting underway, to send those into the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. Brandon, how's it going? Doing great. First day back in the office and feels like a month almost. I know. <laughs> I feel like we forgot what you looked like, what you sound like. You don't even have your notebook. This is a I different know. Brandon. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a wild few weeks. What's but, going on here? <laughs> Great few weeks. Great. My guy went to waste management. Um, You're so jealous. I'm jealous. But so he did share some awesome stories with me. It was. Uh, sounds like it was as crazy as it looked on ESPN. I like, liked you texting us at 10:30 in the morning. Right. Just. Yeah. Well underway. It was fun. No, it was. It was also wild to see. Just like there was a 20 minute span on the Friday where I saw. 30 people get arrested <laughs> where it was just because uh, it, it was, I was telling bump like the, the pin was tucked back and the, and they were playing from the farthest tee. So all these guys are coming up so short. And the whole thing with that hole is usually you hit the green or stick it close. Place goes nuts. Mm-hmm. You, you, you hit it off the green, you're far away. They boo the heck out of you. So all these guys are coming up 50, 60 feet short and the players feel bad. They're throwing balls into the stands and then people are chanting, throw it back, throw it back. They throw the ball back. No. And then all of a sudden, Cops are just like on the mics, or, you know, on the on the radios, just like, hey, that guy there, get him out. That guy there, get him out. And then I saw, you know, drunk fights as as happens when you're under the influence. Did you see streakers? <laughs> uh, I did not see any streakers, no, but I saw a lot of people slip and slide down the muddy hills. <laughs> um, whether or not they were intoxicated, it really didn't matter. <laughs> well. I hate you and I love you, BG, because I want to go there. But uh, let's talk a little baseball. Let's huh? go. Hey, um, it's here. So Julio Rodriguez, man, I love that he is uh, holding himself accountable, keeping that chip on his shoulder, saying, look, I had a sophomore slump. I'm like, man, if fourth and AL MVP voting is sophomore slump, sign me up every single day of the week for that type of performance. Um and then he's ranked top 10 when it comes to the top 100 players um, in Major League Baseball. Were you surprised at the number 10 spot? You think higher, lower? What are your thoughts? No, I, I think that considering he had just kind of the up and down year he had, it was obviously, as we know, first half was really, really slow for him. He ended the season really, really slow. And I think that's a lot of where those expectations that he was talking about bump come to play because they needed him those last few weeks and he didn't show yeah. up. And I'm sure that that's kind of been the driving force for him. I mean, you, you couple that end of season with, hey, the Rangers and Astros faced off in the ALCS, and then the Rangers did something you've never done, which Mm -hmm. is win a World Series. Like, all those things coupled with Julio being just this hyper, you you know, I think that the smile can maybe sway some people one way where they're like, he's not this hyper competitive guy. Like, no, that guy is super, super driven, super hyper competitive. That's part of the reason they paid him all this money already. Like, I, I think a lot of that stuck with him, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if Julio comes out of the gate swinging, <laughs> swinging uh, hot. <laughs> you mentioned a lot of that stuck with him. I'm assuming that's in part because of his recent comments. What did you make about that conversation? For anyone who doesn't know, by the way, uh, Julio spoke with reporters at spring training just a couple days ago and said, look, no one's more disappointed uh, you know, in their 2023 season than me. I didn't do what I wanted, but also no one wants to be better than me. Yeah, and, and I think that when you have your best players having those kind of conversations and your most talented players, like, 
that says a lot because I think about the contrast between what Julio's saying with what Anthony Rendon, oh, <laughs> what God. the Angels is saying, where Anthony my Rendon's goodness. like, dog, I'm cashing paychecks. Baseball's like my baseball's like my fifth, sixth priority. I've been hurt these last years. I don't care. I'm still making my money. Like uh, uh, John Morosi, friend of the station, he was on with, with Wyman and Bob yesterday, and, he, and they asked him about the Rendon comments, and he said, a lot of times the younger guys tend to naturally look at the guys with the longest track record who are making the most money. You think about even if it's somebody who is coming up in the next few years and you look at someone like Julio, whereas these young guys with the Angels are coming up and they're looking at someone like Anthony Rendon, who basically says, I don't give a crap about you guys. Yeah. I'm here to make my millions. Right. It's a very, very different dynamic. So, no, I, I think that very clearly Julio's headspace is in the right way. We'll see how that works out on the field, but having a, a driven kind of ticked off Julio in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's coming off a season, like you said, bump fourth in AL MVP voting, sky's the limit for him. And, and that's super exciting. He's only 23. It's yeah. unreal. It, it's nuts. At 23, I was uh, just making sure I had gas in my car in the morning. <laughs> so I have to stop and go get it. Still doing that at 38, by the way. True. Uh, but <laughs> let, let's talk about just the identity of this team, right? Um, you look at how they were trying to build this team over the past few years. It was power, 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 right? You look at the way they're doing it now. It's okay. Limit the strikeouts and and go for more contact. At least that's the way that I'm seeing it. Um, is that the way that you see it? And do you feel like if it is, the, if that is the way you see it, do you feel like that transition was needed? Yeah, the, the transition. Yeah, absolutely. The, there's still some swing and miss in this lineup, both with the guys that are returning Cal and Julio strike out above league average um they, they're they're big strikeout guys and they can get into those kind of n- not slumps but just those streaks where maybe they're not seeing the ball as well uh Hanniger comes with his fair share of strikeouts Luke Rayleigh uh, who's probably going to play quite a bit for for this team he had a really really high strikeout rate this year so it's not like they went and said hey we're just getting a bunch of contact oriented guys but they're getting guys that typically do a little bit better in the strike zone maybe they don't chase as much maybe that's a part of it that they're getting rid of but Last year was just so extreme. I mean, we, we talked about so much that all those missed opportunities with runners on base, because that wasn't the problem. Like people are like, oh, this offense just stinks outright. They put a ton of guys on base. They put a ton of guys in scoring position. But those strikeouts are just rally killers. The, a strikeout and a pop out are the two easiest outs to make in baseball, because defensively, you don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. at least with a ground ball. You have to go field it right, throw it. The guy has a chance to beat it out. There are a number of things that can go wrong. Strikeout and pop out like it's it's easy money, essentially. So, no, they, they needed to get at least a little bit more contact oriented. I think Polanco in particular is going to be so key for them. Garver, too. Garver has swing and miss, but Garver stays in the strike zone for the most part. And he has a really high contact rate in the strike zone for the most part. So those are two guys that obviously are probably going to slot, slot in three, four for them. And those are the two guys that I think in particular on top of the returning guys that they're going to really be counting on. The mayor. To drive this, sorry. <laughs> the Mariners had a lot of questions entering the offseason. So when I say, like, what are you most excited about? Let's take, like, the starting rotation and Julio off the table because sure. this is the stuff where it's like we entered this the offseason with questions. What area do you feel more confident in where you say, you know what, I actually like what they did there. I'm intrigued by it. And what area do you still have questions? Yeah, I I, I really like Jorge Polanco. I think Polanco is a really, really good player who fits a lot of what they need. Switch hitter with, with pop, stays in the strike zone. Um can work his walks, uh, just professional guy. You know, the, the health factor for him and Hanniger and a few of these other guys is obviously a bit concerning. Um, I'm not as... I'm not as up in arms about the third base spot as other people. I know a lot of people are slamming the table for for Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman doesn't do a whole lot for me personally, just with his 
offensive profile. Um, defensively, he's stellar, but there, there's more to it than that. And the money that he commands, I think you'd rather go risk somebody like Cody Bellinger. And that brings it to the corner outfield is very suspect right now. You feel great about Julio in center, but Luke Rayleigh is kind of a platoon guy. Didn't hit lefties particularly well. You know what Mitch Haniger is and isn't, and you know he's someone that you're probably not going to be able to count on for 130-plus games. So, And then it's Dominic Canzone is probably your fourth guy, and he's played all of 40, 45 big league games. So that, that corner outfield spot is definitely probably the biggest concern for me at this point, besides just, hey, you're counting on three, four guys in Polanco, Haniger, um, Mitch Garver that have had a serious track record of injuries. What I'm not concerned about is this uh, this pitching staff, right? I feel really good about it. Even with Topa leaving the bullpen, you got Salcedo, Brash, Munoz still over there. But something I'm really excited to hear is that uh, Miller's adding a pitch. Then I also heard that Kirby said he's going to bring out the knuckleball. Uh, just talk to me about this rotation and, and those pitches and how you think it's going to help these guys. Yeah, the, the knuckleball thing will be interesting is the the one that Kirby threw last year was disgusting but that's there's a reason guys don't throw it it's it's really hard to throw mm-hmm. you have next to no command over it like that's why you don't see knuckleball guys but Kirby command wise just unbelievable uh you know the, he's he's one of those guys that I I think is you know I wouldn't even call him a sleeper Cy Young guy I think enough people know how good he is in his stuff like it would not surprise me by year's end if Kirby's kind of the unquestioned number one of the staff like if the Mariners get into the playoffs it's like hey game one I'm counting on Kirby I don't think he starts opening day that way but I I think by the end of the year that's where he'll be at the the splitter I've seen the videos of Bryce Miller's splitter it's filthy it's, it's gross and and he needed it he and Brian Wu when you look at their numbers last year against righties just dominant like those they were not getting hit against righties but lefties just demolished them lefties were putting up all-star slash lines against these guys OPSing 900 plus I mean that and that's just you know, it's not sustainable. You're going to face a lot of lefties. And what happened at the end of the year is teams were like, hey, this right-hander might be a better player than this lefty, but the numbers show we got to stack the lineup with lefties. Go figure it out, kids. So that'll be kind of the big thing for those two, and in part because if those guys struggle or if any of these guys get hurt, that depth is a big question mark. Trading yeah. Robbie Ray, trading Marco Gonzalez, because then it's Emerson Hancock who, yeah, you like what Hancock can be, but there's a reason why he's barely pitched. Like that, that motion, that strain on that shoulder, it's recurring for a reason and then Taylor Dollard's another minor league guy that that pitched a lot for them a few years ago barely pitched it all last year because of injuries so that that depth is a is a bit of a question mark but as far as the five guys that they have at least right now you're feeling pretty good about them what gives Kirby I don't think it's an unpopular opinion but from someone whose background isn't in baseball I'm curious what gives Kirby that kind of innately higher ceiling than Castillo where you're like obviously Castillo's your ace obviously Castillo is a great pitcher like he was underrated last year he's had great moments but what is it that you see from Kirby where you go this potential is just different well the the thing is you George Kirby just from like a pure stuff standpoint you take the control completely out of it he's a he's a starting pitcher who's 96 plus with a with a plus splitter the slider's really good he can mix in the curveball as well and that can be a potentially plus pitch too so he's a guy that's a three four five pitch guy with power stuff and then it's the otherworldly command sometimes guys are pure stuff guys sometimes guys are just complete finesse pitchers we've seen a lot of those guys have success where it's like this guy's 88 to 91 but yeah. he just spots his stuff up so well that he's an all-star type pitcher you know sometimes you'll get those guys with the with the 
with the plus power stuff that are also above average command guys. And I think Castillo's kind of in that category too, but you rarely see it where those two things just completely overlap where it's like this guy's 97, 98 as a starter potentially with all these secondary offerings. And he knows exactly where it's going basically every single time. And it's going to be, if he's missing out of the zone, that's typically where he wants that pitch to miss. Anyways, guys don't have that type of command coupled with that type of stuff. So just that combination is extremely rare. And it's something that he had to, he had to build on when he was, coming out of college, he was like 91, 92. It's like, okay, this is just a pure finesse guy. Then all of a sudden he's in the Mariner system. He's gaining weight. And it's like, oh, this guy's 96 plus and he's carrying it for entire starts. Like that, those two things coupled together makes the ceiling so incredibly high. There's really not many guys that are like that in major league baseball. You know, I'm a football guy, so the eyeball test is big for me. You know, my wife, she makes fun of me because I go, man, you see the thighs and the and the butt on that dude you over there? Brock, yeah. well, you guys talk about calves, just weird body Explosiveness. parts I wouldn't expect. That's you know? where Look all the power, yeah, the, the power the sources, power is man, right? right? <laughs> so we um, we interviewed Salcedo the other day, but I watched the podcast he was on earlier, and my dude looks jacked. He looks like he put on some muscle. Any concerns with the arm when, when these pitchers start putting on this muscle like Salcedo has? It, it, it depends because you, you can put on muscle in good ways as a pitcher. A big part of it is obviously flexibility. Uh, I remember a few years ago, this, this feels like forever ago now, but Noah Syndergaard when he was with the Mets. Syndergaard's already a big dude, and he came to camp one year, and it looked like he didn't just lift weights. It looked like he ate the weights. He was huge. <laughs> and I watched a bullpen of him. I'm like, this guy is stiff as can be. And he tore like three muscles in his back and made like two starts that year. Yeah. Right. So there is a fine line between like, hey, I'm getting bigger, stronger on the pitching end. And like, I'm just too big now. I'm too bulky versus like, hey, you can build that weight the right way. So hopefully it's that right way. Uh, you know, when, when I see pitchers like get super big, I usually hope it's more of a lower half thing because right. that's again, but going back to the power source conversation like that is a big part of it. Like hips, legs, driving the ball. Obviously, you're thinking pitcher arm, pitcher arm, pitcher arm, but that's that's a big part of it too. So yeah. as long as it's kind of distributed appropriately and you mm-hmm. still maintain that level of flexibility, it's it should be fine. All right, to the Mac and Jack's text line. Um, some people, a lot of people are really interested in what's going to become of Ty France, his development at driveline this offseason and, and what that's going to look like. Uh, someone was saying, what does now that, not leash look like? We know that they need him, but... Right. Um, just kind of how are we watching Ty France differently this year? Yeah, it's a it's a good question because thank you. Yeah, you're it's not mine. But. <laughs> well, that doesn't count. No, so, I, but I asked it. It's it's a good question though because I think that when you look at the makeup of the lineup and we and I talked about like the corner outfield, I I think that France probably profiles as like a six seven guy for for the lineup and used to be he was a two three guy. He was a key he was a key force. I mean, even going back to early last year, that's kind of where he was at. He's not going to be counted on as a premier run-producing guy, but he's got to have some extra base run-producing impact for them. And you you mentioned the leash. It's not like, hey, if he's not hitting after a month, you're done, dude. But they have a guy, Tyler Locklear, who's probably the closest MLB prospect that they have who hasn't debuted yet. And he's a he's a first baseman DH type. He was a second round pick two years ago. He reached double A last year. He's got a little bit of work to do, but I mean, if we're we're into June and it looks like France is putting up numbers like he did last year, maybe it's a situation where Locklear does get the call up and sees if he can run with it. So it's not a thing where like a, a slow April is going to just totally diminish mm-hmm. what Ty France can and can't be. He's a key part of this lineup, at least on paper right now, but they at least have a potential long-term option in the wings whereas with a lot of other spots they really don't have that in the in the farm system last one i got for you uh great this offseason for the mariners i i think you have to grade it on a curve because 
the financial ramifications of everything is so important to note. You had ownership that was kind of dictating it a little bit, and I think that a lot of people thought they were going to be able to spend more money. So if you look at it just from, hey, we're grading everybody the same way, you know, it's it's probably C, C+. Plus. They, mm-hmm. they got some good players in there, but they a lot of the holes that they had or have are things that ultimately they – they were kind of self-inflicted because they had to make those those cost-cutting moves. If you look at it on a curve, it's probably B, B plus because I think that without the ability to go out there and truly contend on the free agent side for some big, big name guys that, you know, are obviously bigger names than a guy like Mitch Garver, getting Polanco, bringing Rayleigh and Hanniger in and, and whatnot, I think we're all pretty solid moves that, that raise the floor and, and potentially the ceiling of this team tremendously from what it was looking like a month, month and a half ago. My mic wasn't on. That's okay. Can you stay with us for a few more minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay. We know that you are uh, writing for the website and have a very busy day back, and uh, and you have a lot of work to do. So we don't want to keep you no, when we can't. All good. Okay. So you guys can keep sending in questions. Eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. I'm sorry. Did you? I was coordinating with with Curtis. Did you ask about the platoon at third? We just had a question. About I did. No. Okay. So we just had a question in uh, okay. about just for Brandon. How do you feel about that platoon at third? Yeah. I. It, it's hard because. Kind kind of like on a curve thing, just with those two alone, it does inspire a lot of confidence. Arias had a really really bad year last year. After two pretty good years for Milwaukee, and last year he played for Milwaukee and Boston, two hitter friendly parks, especially for right handed guys, especially in Boston. Uh, Josh Rojas, you know, he was about league average during his time with the Mariners um, from a hitting perspective, and we haven't seen him at third base. He only played second base for the Mariners last year. There's just not a lot of great options out there. Again, Matt Chapman, he brings a lot of that same swing and miss struggles that we were talking about them trying to get rid of. He he struck out a lot. He was really streaky. He had a great April. He had a great July. He was horrible the rest of the year. He was really bad at the end of the year. He was really bad in, in May and June. So he he's someone who fills a need in a sense, but with the dollars that he's probably going to command, not great. And he's probably not someone who would want to come to Seattle on a one-year deal because he needs to reset his market on the hitting side of things, and this isn't the best place to go. Um, I think that corner infield, corner outfield are the biggest concerns for this team. Uh, I think that at least with those two, you have, you know, one of those guys should at least be kind of league average between Arias and and, and Josh Rojas. Who knows if that it truly ends up working out to be a true mm-hmm. platoon. But I, I you know, I, I don't think it's like, oh, my God, this is the the worst thing ever, like a lot of people are, are thinking of. But it obviously isn't like the, the most ideal situation. There's just not a lot out there for them right now. I feel like obviously it's still going to be a while since we see uh, until we see Harry Ford, but he was invited to spring training, right? Uh, one of the non-roster dudes who are invited up there. Um, it, what are you hearing about his progression and, and where is he on his timeline as far as him possibly making the jump uh, eventually to the bigs? Yeah, the it, it's hard with catchers. He he stayed behind the plate. I think that's important to note because when he got drafted, it was like this guy's this hyper athletic dude. We think he can move around the diamond, but he's he's really only caught. Uh, he he played all of last year at high A. He didn't get the promotion. He does a pretty good job of of staying in the strike zone. He works a lot of walks. Um, that's one thing that I've noticed. He's got a ton of pop. Uh, a big part of it, though, is just if he's staying behind the plate, it's that defensive development. It, you kind of hear mixed reports when you look at like a baseball America versus an MLB pipeline versus this. Some people are like, oh, no, this guy's trajectory is like really good defensively. Some guys say he still has a lot of work to do. He's probably still below league average when it comes to receiving and throwing and things like that. So it's hard to tell. I think that just with the bat, the bat's the bat. He he can hit. He, he's he got some power. But the, the big thing for him, if he's going to stay behind the plate, especially with the Mariners potentially long term, like 
that that's going to be ultimately the driving force. He probably starts the year in 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 Double A, and you kind of see where he goes there. But that's a you know. He's not someone I think that's probably going to debut this year. Now, BG, while this is a question for you, I would not be surprised at all if uh, Bump and Curtis chimed in as well. This is right up their alley. Okay. Uh, from Ryan in the two five three, uh, have you seen the jerseys or talked or the, oh, heard the players talk God. about them? Goodness Are gracious. they really as bad as social media is making it paper. out to be? All right, Ryan, how much time do you have, bro? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it, it's, you only have four minutes. So it looks like. You know how when teams give away jerseys, yes, it, it looks yes. like that. Yeah, it's the very, giveaways. it's very clearly like you know, like the print-on stuff. It just the fabric sheer. Home teams wear white, dude. If we can see everything that's going on <laughs> down below, not everybody wears a cup, ladies and gentlemen. Like at some point, we're gonna have an issue here. No, it. They're again, Siraj bump chime in, but they're it's it's okay, it. Yeah. They look as bad as everybody is yeah. saying. It looks like you're Sheen. playing, yeah, it looks like you're uh, a, a travel team that doesn't have the highest dues of any uh, <laughs> of the team of the they tournament. They look like they're made out of freaking paper towels or yeah. something. Is like, Paul League poor? Yeah, I did. It looks like, uh, it you know those like little like, uh, rice wrappers you get at like yep. an Asian restaurant yep. that you can throw your noodles in? That's yep. what it looks like. Bob? Yeah, I, um, I, growing up, who used to make the unis? Was it um a little mountain? What's the logo? Majestic. The, majestic, right? Yeah. Those uniforms were so thick growing up. I'm like, man, right. how are they moving these? And then as Nike takes over, you see the technology change. This right here, they look like pajamas to me. Like, <laughs> don't matter. I'm laying down with wifey. She can see whatever she wants to see. <laughs> like, I don't understand what's going on with these jerseys, man. Get rid of them right now. <laughs> yeah, the players clearly are not happy. MLBPA has even said that they're going to potentially step in. I think Trey Turner kind of, with the Phillies kind of put it best. He's just like, everybody hates him. Everybody it is, hates him. It is wild. I was listening to, um, uh, I think, the Athletics Baseball Podcast the other day, and um, they were talking about Scott Boris clients and all of a sudden at the end they're like so let's talk about the jerseys and it's like it's like a whole thing is like right. wait a minute we're really talking about the players union stepping in for jerseys but like everything about them is awful like the font is too small players really do hate them and like look if I'm a player that has to wear this all the time, that matters to me. It matters to me if I genuinely think the thing I'm supposed to wear for my job is poor quality. The, the best part of it, I thought, was when MLB was clearly like reaching out to players like, hey, if we if we pay you some money, can you talk about how great these are on video? So you saw like Nolan Arenado and then Jason Hayward had like a hostage video where mm. he's like, yeah, the material's great. It, it's really flexible. <laughs> it breathes really well. It's like, okay, this is... Blink this twice, is, Jason. Yeah, yeah seriously, seriously. Like, dude, are you okay? Press like, one with your nose. Like, yeah, press one if you want Otani to come in and kick the doors down because he's just <laughs> in the other room. All right, Brandon, um, you are going to have a very busy weekend. So that everyone knows, Brandon also covers the Seahawks. He covers Seattle sports. He's got a lot of stuff covered, but maybe they have their eye out for Mariner stuff. What do you have coming up this weekend? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the single best thing anybody can do is follow along with Shannon Dreyer because she, she's down there. She's riding one, two, sometimes three things a day. Cactus League games obviously start up really, really soon here for the Mariners. Um, so Shannon is writing a ton of stuff. She has a story filed that I'm going to be posting here really soon about just how different 
the five Mariners starting pitchers approach the offseason, it's it's wildly different. They're all different personalities, different approaches. It's super interesting. So that'll be up on SeattleSports.com. But make sure to follow Shannon, follow the site. And uh, for Seahawks fans out there, John Schneider Show at 4, we're going to have a ton of content from that as well. All right. And where can people find you if, if like many texters, they're like, wait, I have another question for Brandon, but we have to kick you out. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, yeah, Twitter at BB Gustafson. Uh, yeah, shoot me, uh, shoot me a note and I'll uh, see if I can get back to you. Twitter, <laughs> I think he means x.com, Bump. Wow. Oh, yeah. Rookie I mean, mistake. still doesn't even say x.com. <laughs> no, That's Bump and I were part. talking earlier about how we're still learning. He is Brandon <laughs> Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. Thanks so much, yeah, BG. Thanks, we appreciate it. We're glad you're back in. Uh, all right, you guys, we are going to be taking a look around the NFL. Coming up next, the NFL's 2023 interception leader could be looking for a new team. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. The NFL's leader in interceptions in 2023 could be looking for a new home. Upcoming free agent Geno Stone of the Baltimore Ravens says he's appreciative of his time with Baltimore, but he understands he may not get the chance to return. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, Baltimore is always home, but you know, like like business is business. You know that uh, being in this league that's long, um, you know, I kind of. You know, you kind of said it right there. You know, I've been through it all, uh, especially my rookie year. But um, I just want to be somewhere I'm, I'm appreciated. And, and uh, you know, who, who wants me and for for me to be a starter, whoever, whoever it may be, um, I just want my value to be there. Now, Geno Stone is really interesting. Leader in interceptions uh, this year in the NFL. Had a fantastic year with Baltimore. Was originally a backup. So his market value on Spotrack is $7.2 million. Like, normally you'd be looking at a top-tier corner, especially one so young at just 24 years old, and you'd go, oh, God, what's this going to set you back? Like, this is a very – signable isn't a word, but a, a, a very uh, – this is a very realistic? appealing, realistic yeah. option for a lot of teams. No, nah, remember I told you about that that Mike McDonald portal. Yeah. I put him in there, mm-hmm. Noy, Queen, and Matabuke. But um, Geno Stone, man, he uh, took advantage of an opportunity in the NFL, even picked off Geno Smith when the Hawks went down there. He's a guy that understands just how to work. I'm not saying guys in the NFL are, are lazy. No, there are some, but most of them know that you got to grind out here. But I love stories like these, man. Guys who overachieve and then get an opportunity mm-hmm. to make more money than they're supposed to make in this league. So he's a guy that I think um, Mike McDonald is going to look at and, and see if it's a good situation over here. He has such a cool story. Like you were late in the seventh round, waived from the team. So he was originally waived from the Ravens, re-signed to the practice squad, then only got onto the active roster because of injuries, went back to the practice squad after each time he played in a game, uh, then was placed on the reserve list because of COVID, then was waived again. Like, this guy was waived multiple times. Not only that, he then signed with the Texans, uh, being claimed off of waivers, before going back to Baltimore. Like, he went through the ringer, and then all of a sudden becomes, like, one of their best defensively. It's I love stories like this. I love them. The mental toughness. Imagine being rejected by over. the same girl like six times. <laughs> yeah, and you're that's, like, please. That's exactly what happened right here. My buddy, Jed Collins, who played with me at Washington State, played in the NFL for the Saints, for the Lions. My man, when we talk Zoom, he's got like eight helmets behind him. Gosh. Every single year, he's on a different team. Man. It takes a different type of person to be able to handle that. Now, obviously, this makes it not necessarily a gamble because you're not playing a ton of money. But if you're a team, you're looking at 2023 and you're going, ooh. Oh, man. He played in 17 games, started 11. He has 24 uh, assists. He has seven interceptions, nine passes defense. Um, you know, this is these are some really good numbers I'm looking at. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
He's got eight starts combined over the previous three seasons and one tackle for loss and one interception. Like, it's this weird kind of like, which side of the coin are you getting? Did he just discover himself Mm -hmm. or did he have a a phenomenal year? And for that matter, this is kind of the conversation we were having about Reek Wolin, also a late pick in the draft, being someone who it's like, did he tap into something special one time? Or is mm-hmm. this kind of who he truly is with the right coaching? Yeah, I wouldn't stress too much over the starts um, because the Ravens play with three safeties, essentially. Yeah. So I'm always going to look on the positive side and say, my man saw opportunity. And uh, what is what does the intro say? Took the, the bull by the horns. Is that the intro? Took that the people bull think? by the hands. Think and everyone always thinks it's yeah, me. Think it's, you. it's Heather. It's, it's Mike's wife. Nah, it's you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Roma Dunze told Brock and Aaron Goldsmith this morning that, yes, he does plan to run the 40-yard dash at next week's combine. First and foremost, are you running in Indy next week? Do you know yet? I do plan on running, yes, I do. You do plan on running. Do you have, I know you were a 10-800-meter guy. Do you have a sense with all this speed training you're doing every single day and ramping up for this with the best of the best? Do you have any sense, any ballpark of what you would like to run uh, there in Indianapolis next week? Um, I'd like to run sub four four. That's my goal. Um, and you know, that's what I'm that's what I'm shooting for. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Right decision? Yeah, you go ahead and get it. I don't he could run now Rome is one of the players that he can go out there and run a high four, 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 five, and he's still still gonna get drafted where he's gonna get drafted. The fact that he says he wants to run a fub, a sub 4-4 four, four, lets you know he's already done it. Now it's just about going mm-hmm. out there NFL Combine and doing it when the lights are on. This is how big of a factor he feels that could be. Um, I mean, it's not. I like the way he starts this. This is me being asked any question about, hey, so what were you doing? Um. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, you know, 40 yards, four seconds of my life. But I, I train, you know, I'm training tremendously for as long along with all the other events. But... I mean, you can count so many great players who, who ran the 40 fast, who didn't run the 40 fast, who didn't run it at all. Like, um, I, I think it, it, I don't know if I believe in any of the translation it has to the game of football um, in a sense, in that way. But it is it is fun to run, fun to see, you know, who has the speed. And, and I, I can understand why all the scouts and people, you know, use it as something to validate players and stuff. So it, it's exciting. But for me, um, I don't I don't care about it. Like my future my football career honestly i love isolating mm-hmm. just the first two seconds to be like babe um why'd you spend five hundred dollars on golf gear um i mean it's not <laughs> i mean for me it's not that big of a deal you know? <laughs> I, I love now rome is this my second favorite husky man i love rome one is jordan Reffitt back in the day because we played against each other and trained together great on twitter but, but yeah, awesome on Twitter. He will let you have it on Twitter. Don't, don't mess yeah. with Jordan Reffin. But um, he knows who he is. He can go out, like I said, he can go out there and run a four or five. He is still the second or third best receiver in this draft. And people aren't going to pass him up because he runs a four or five. He's just saying, look, I'm going to go out there and do it. It's more about how people see him when it comes to competition. It's more just checking a box. Okay, he's not afraid to go out there and run mm-hmm. the 40. If he runs a slower time than he wants, he'll do it again at his pro day. He'll be fine. All right, next up, Amazon currently paying $150 million to the NFL. Why? Well, it's got to be a fine for something, right? Like, what's going on? No, uh, it's to broadcast a playoff game, a playoff game, singular, in 2024. This is why they don't want these companies to team up, because you get ridiculous amounts for mm-hmm. a football game, $150 million for one game. And, uh, yeah, this is exactly why NFL doesn't like these guys teaming up. What was it, Disney and, and two other companies? 
so they can get this right here, man. And this is a bidding war. The reason why it's 150 is because they probably started at 100 and kept driving that thing up. It's mm-hmm. negotiation. So, yeah, I guess it's a win for the NFL. Amazon, they got 150. They're not tripping over I that. give them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of myself <laughs> so my as wife. funding. Yeah, me and Jen funding a huge part of this. From ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, the Chiefs are signing free agent punter Matt Areza. Why is this newsworthy? If you guys remember, the name sounds familiar. Areza's been out of football since 2022 due to a rape lawsuit that was dropped in December of 2023. Current Chiefs punter Tommy Townsend is slated to become a free agent this offseason. It's a Uh, controversial move from the Chiefs. It is, man. And um, people are going to be upset about this. It's all about how comfortable the Chiefs are taking on all that hate that they're going to get. Um, he didn't get locked up. He didn't get uh, convicted of anything. So I guess you go ahead and roll the dice. But PR-wise, isn't the best yeah. move. People just sending in now their own intros to Roma Dunze's cut. Wife, babe, where did all the Amazon packages come from? Um, I mean, it's not. I mean, for me, it's not that big of a deal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we need to save that. <laughs> Curtis, save can we that. isolate just the beginning of that cut? Like, I just want to use it for everything. Like, you know, hey, so, uh, Curtis, the Arizona Wildcats lost, uh, you know, to the Cougs. How are you feeling about that? Um, I mean, it's not. I mean, for me, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's just, just not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> um, for me, you know, it's not. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, last story here. The Bills are the betting favorites. Not to win a Super Bowl, but that's okay. Something's still really good. To keep Stephon Diggs, according to Vegas, the Chiefs and Texans have the next highest odds for the former All-Pro receiver. It feels like every season there's some kind of ongoing drama about is Diggs happy or not with Buffalo. I think it's a great situation for him. I'm not Diggs. I don't know what's best for him. But, oh, my God, it just feels like they can find such wonderful ways to use him. They were such an explosive offense. They got so far. Unfortunately for them, Patrick Mahomes is always in their way. Yeah, and let's not act – let's – not act like Diggs is just falling off. I mean, my dude is still a baller. Had, what, 1,100 yards last year? He's had over 1,000 yards since 2018. He can get it done. Now, the reason why these guys really need to make sure they keep care of Diggs is because we keep hearing Corey Davis saying he's probably not going to be there. Um, The, I believe, Diggs and Corey Davis combined for about 2,000-something yards, which is like 17th least when it comes to receiver production. Uh, but that's because I got two really good tight ends over there in Buffalo. So if you're going to lose Corey Davis, you got to make sure you keep Stephon Diggs. You need dynamic tight ends, but you need the number one receiver. All right. We are talking college hoops coming up at one. The ringers, Tate Frazier, one of our favorites going to join us. We're going to have conversations about the Cougs Wildcats happening tonight. Uh, going to have a little bit of talk about Gonzaga. Obviously he's a fan of the Bulldogs and of course fit in some Washington conversation as well. A question there about Mike Hopkins. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Which NFL free agent are you watching most closely this March? Who might be a fit in Seattle? And who could have us all talking about him this offseason? That's the conversation we're having right now. I've got a list of the top free agents. Uh, this is just kind of um, accumulated from a variety of resources and then uh, organized subjectively. But I don't think anyone's going to necessarily disagree. So um, I'll go through like one or two. And then if I, if I don't mention one, feel free to be like, yo, I'm watching this guy. I don't care what you say, but like, I think this guy's a great fit in Seattle or I just think he's a fascinating story. The number one free agent across most outlets. And this is no surprise. Chris Jones. 
defensive lineman oh, yeah. for the Kansas City Chiefs. They just won a Super Bowl, and there's a little bit of drama heading into the season. Now, uh, he's valued by his team. He likes his team. He said at the Super Bowl parade, I'm not going anywhere, but he did hold out during training camp and into the first week of the regular season, then signed a one-year $25 million deal just for this season. So now he's back to being a free agent. Chris Jones, man, he's um, he's the best defensive tackle in the league right now. He Which is. is wild. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Aaron Donald held that spot down for so long. He ain't no chump neither. Don't get it twisted. But the year that Chris Jones had and the effect that he had on this defense, and especially mm-hmm. in that Super Bowl when it was time to win, there's no doubt about it. So, yeah, he can go out and say, I ain't going anywhere. His agent hit him up and text him that night and be like, hey, let's hold off on that, that type of talk because <laughs> – I want to be able to leverage you. I want to be able to get as much money as possible. Get caught up in the moment. You're at the parade after the Super Bowl. We understand that. Um, I, I like Chris Jones, but I don't feel like that's realistic for this team. You said he signed a one-year $25 million. He's going to ask for yeah. about 25 to $30 million over three or four years this next contract. And um, I think that – he would obviously help this team or any team that he goes to, mm-hmm. but you gotta, you know, you're not you're not scraping the bottom of the of the peanut butter jar with that with that knife and trying to spread it thin. But you gotta, you ain't got as much uh, jiffy in that <laughs> peanut butter bottle. <laughs> you gotta, you yeah. gotta spread it out. I don't think Seattle has enough peanut butter uh, for that deal, but some teams do. Um, the most likely landing spot for a lot of people is Kansas City because mm-hmm. of his comments. Because Kansas City is looking to three P. Because it's just like if you want to win a Super Bowl. Where else would you want to be right now if you're a player and you already know that city, you know that team, but they threw in Detroit as another potential option as having the cap space, as having the ability, and imagine a Detroit Lions team with Aiden Hutchinson Mm -hmm. on their line and Chris Jones. Yeah, that's scary. Um, Hutchinson, what was it, drafted second overall a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, this young man is a beast. There was a game this year he had, what, three or four sacks or something like that. Again, the Detroit Lions have, have become, a, I, I feel like, a destination for these free agents. because Especially a free agent like Chris Jones or even a Leonard Williams, guys who want to win. They're no longer trying to survive in the NFL. They're no longer trying to get to that second contract. They're in a position to where they can pick and choose where they want to go. And there are a few teams where I look at and say, all right, teams, if you go there, you make this team better, you can win a championship. It's crazy to say it. The Detroit Lions have become one of those teams. I know. It feels weird to say, but I kind of like this world. I mean, I don't love that they're in the NFC. Uh, You know, you got to fight them in the playoffs, but it's always nice to have kind of a, you know, a a change, uh, you know, at the top. Um, Let's go to... uh, Uh, another really popular free agent. Now, this guy isn't coming to Seattle, but I just find his story really fascinating, and I think it leads to a larger conversation bump about the value of quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins. And I think, Bump, that there are some people that hear it and go, who cares? He's old. He's washed. Like, I don't know, Kirk Cousins. He is going to really change the market. Not, Not, I mean, in terms of what people are paying quarterbacks, but in terms of, like, who's looking at what teams can improve the most year over year. Yeah, put some respect on Kirk Cousins' name. And um, I need to tell myself that, or I did tell myself that at some point, uh, because obviously we look at what he does or have done or hasn't done in the playoffs, and you say, all right, well, you can't, he's not going to win you a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't need Kirk Cousins to win you a Super Bowl. Maybe you need him to keep you afloat and keep you relevant. He can definitely do that. 2,300 yards, 18 touchdowns, and five interceptions this year before my man got hurt. Um, and, And again, 
the more you learn about players, I think the more attractive they become as well. And and that's kind of what I've learned what happened with me with Kirk Cousins. But you look at his numbers, man. In the last since he's been with the Minnesota Vikings, um, he has years of 4,200 yards and 30 touchdowns, 4,200 yards and 35, 33 mm-hmm. touchdowns. This man can go. He's important to the Minnesota Vikings. The question now with Kirk Cousins is, is he going to get a guarantee, a fully guaranteed contract? Because in 2018, 2017, when he made that move and he got 80 million guaranteed, everyone in the NFL is like, what's going on? Is this basketball? Is this baseball? How are they getting guaranteed contracts? He kind of flipped the switch when it comes to that. So I appreciate you, Kirk Cousins, for that. And then I wouldn't say he's been a failure over there. He's had seasons of 70, um, 70% completion percentage. They got multiple seasons of uh, double-digit wins. He's a good quarterback, man. So um, it's unfortunate because I feel like this year was a year where these guys could have really made some noise. If you need a guy to hold it down for two to three years, I think Cousins is the dude. He's 35 years old. Um, Some quarterbacks can play for five, six more years at this age. I give him like three, four more years of good production. He's also a reminder in just how good a serviceable starter looks to certain teams. The analogy that I shared with you during the break was like, I don't love a club sandwich. I don't like man. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not partial to how simple they are. I don't like tomatoes. I don't need to get into the specifics, okay? I don't <laughs> love club sandwiches or BLTs. But if I was on a deserted island and I washed ashore uh, on a hotel and they had a restaurant <laughs> and they served a club sandwich or a BLT, it would be the most delicious meal of my entire life. Like mm-hmm. if you're the Raiders or if you are, you know, the Bears have the number one pick, but let's say they didn't. Uh, if you are the Jets, if they didn't have Rodgers coming back, right. there are teams that are licking their chops, looking at Kirk Cousins going, oh my God, you're telling me a guy that's had 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, like I could just pay to have him here? Yeah. Sign me up. It's all about um, timing. Yeah. The timing of Kirk Cousins being a free agent, I think it's beneficial for him. I have some other names, but who are you looking at? Uh, let me pull it back. Uh, I am looking at who am I looking at? You said Chris Jones already. Mm, I know you've mentioned Matabuike. Oh yeah, Matabuike. Uh, that's I mean that's such Matabuike. a dream. Matabuike. That's such a dream. Thirteen and a half sacks last year. This guy is um, a force to be reckoned with. Again, do you want to spend that much money on one guy? Um, I think that he's well worth the check. But I just look at there are multiple positions that need to be addressed on this defense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm looking at Matabuke, but I'm not I'm not counting on it. Um, we're wrapping this up, and we're going to switch to talking college hoops. But there's a couple other interesting names just to go over. Um, Mike Evans is really interesting to me. He's mm-hmm. also favored like Chris Jones to stay with the team he's already at. He has been, and you've talked about this a million times, one of the most consistent, if not maybe the most consistent, wide receiver of the last decade. Because of that, still underrated. Might he have a new home? It's going to be weird to see him not in Tampa Bay if that's what happens. Tampa would be foolish to let this guy Truly. go. Truly. You'd be foolish. He's the, one of the reasons why you made it as far as you did. And the real question is, can Baker Mayfield run it back? Because he had himself a career year as well. But if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man, I'm, I'm keeping Mike Evans. You got guys like Tyler Boyd, who's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got T. Higgins. Where I'm sure the Bengals are going to take care of him. You got Michael Pittman Jr., receiver that's available as well. Uh, Van Jefferson could be a number three. Ray Ray McLeod can be a number three. So um, here's the thing about receivers, man. Number one receivers are hard to find, but twos, threes, and fours, man, there's a bunch of them out there. Can I tell you just like a fun scenario that has nothing to do with Seattle but would be kind of like, well, what's going to happen there? Yeah. Two pending free agents, most likely going to re-sign with their current teams. T. Higgins, mm-hmm. Mike Evans, yep. one team with a lot of money to spend who could have a new young quarterback. 
Chicago. Chicago. What if Chicago gets two top free agent wide receivers? That's a ridiculous, stupid amount of money to spend. They shouldn't do it, but what if they do? Already got DJ Moore over there. I mean, how fun is this idea? Come on now. It's a good idea. It's a fun idea. Get Caleb, get another receiver. It's interesting. Like, bring in Evans. It doesn't matter that he's a little bit older. He just had 1,000 yards. Uh, Really fight for, like, a T. Higgins, right? And then give those weapons to Caleb Williams, your number one overall pick. Mm. It feels like Chicago kind of only ever hurts themselves, and it doesn't always work out. But, like, I almost want this for Bears fans. Is this our early offseason favorite team to watch going into the next year? Wow, that's a great question. We've had Detroit one year. Uh, I was looking at Atlanta one year. It has to be. It's got to be, right? It has to be. You have the number one overall pick, Mm -hmm. and you've been telling fans, like, hey, we're really working on this. We're really rebuilding. You have this new GM uh, that's been, you know, moving this roster around, making some crazy trades. You have the number one pick in two consecutive years. You didn't use it last year, obviously, but. Yeah. So Chicago's our team right now. How many times can we change it? As many times as we want. I don't know. I feel like we have a we have to have a limit. All you know, right, let's like go how three you have times. Like, three okay, times. We, we can only pre, change it three pre-draft, times. Pre-draft, middle of the summer, okay. and then right before the season. Right now, it's Chicago. We can only change it three more times. Or two else, more times. Two more times. Or else, or else we're cheaters. Done. <laughs> yeah, or else we're done. Or else we just aren't true fans of the Chicago Bears, longtime fans. You're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Ringers' Tate Frazier joins us next for a preview of Wazoo Hoops in Arizona. Don't go anywhere.